Good morning. It's good to be here. So it's good to be here. It's good to be able to, to speak today. Um, it's been a little while. Um, and uh, it's always uh, an anxious thing to get back and to speak after you haven't spoken for a little while. Um, but uh, I noticed today, you may have noticed too, that there, there's a little imbalance in our congregation um, today. A hormonal imbalance. We have over a hundred ladies gone to the Women of Faith Conference um, this Sabbath. And uh, so if you feel a little testosterone in the room, I'm sorry, ladies. But we did this. We, we, uh, I overheard somebody say that we, we look forward to this conference every year, this Women of Faith Conference, to find out who the women are who don't have any faith. And so, ladies, no. <laughs> that's bad. That's bad. No, um, we, uh, I'm sure they're having a great time. And uh, I know that there's a lot of men going hungry this weekend. So hang in there. We find out actually who the men of courage are this weekend, <clears throat> the women of faith. Um, I'd like to welcome you. If you, haven't, uh, if you weren't joining us last Sabbath, um, uh, you don't know that we've started a new series in the book of Peter. So let me tell you, we've started a new series in the book of Peter. First Peter, uh, we decided to tackle this epistle. And um, I have the opportunity of... of uh, continuing that conversation with you this morning. Um, so, so here Peter is. He's writing a letter to people, probably mostly Jews, um, uh, converts scattered throughout Asia Minor. It doesn't take you very long when you open up the book to, to, to see the cities there where, where they're uh, living. And uh, Peter is writing a letter here as um, a spiritual father to these people. Uh, these people are probably very familiar, coming out of the Jewish tradition, with um, old, stale, dry religion. Um, but they're now new Christians. They've had a, a, a reawakening, a, a glimpse of God who is not far and distant, but who is near and personal. A God who actually became uh, a humankind and walked among them. And um, they've had this, this experience, experience of a God who is love and grace and forgiveness um, and they have a new perspective on life, I imagine, and a new perspective on the future. Um, they've never seen Jesus. They had never met Jesus, and yet they've begun to put their faith in him. I imagine for them, at this point in their journey, there is a newfound joy, uh, a freedom, um, a sense of peace, perhaps, that they'd never experienced before. Uh, yet it's still, it's kind of like, Everything has changed. Everything has become new, yet everything is the same. You know that experience? Everything is, is changed and new and fresh, but everything's the same. They're still Roman citizens. They still go to work every day. They still deal with the pressures and stresses of life. They are still having the responsibilities of perhaps being a spouse or a parent it's very much new and exciting and, 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 and fresh, but very much the same. And so uh, here we find Peter, and, and Peter, unlike um, uh, Paul or some of the other biblical writers, doesn't spend a lot of time on theology in his letter. Um, his letters are extremely practical, dealing with everyday kind of life. Okay, so you've had this new experience, this, this uh, decision to follow this Jesus, this God. Uh, now what does your life look like? 
what does it look like now that you have this awareness that God has incarnated himself in man? What does it look like when you have chosen to follow this God? What is the pattern of your life going to be? And so Peter tackles some very practical issues that the people um, in these places are experiencing. Um, we're going to pick it up today where, where uh, Isaac, he started last week, uh, where he left off. Chapter 1, verse 20, 22. I invite you to take a Bible. If you don't have a Bible there with you, there's Bibles in the pews um, in front of you. And uh, invite you to, to jump into the conversation. Uh, chapter 1, verse 22. I'm sorry, not 22. Where are you going? Chapter 2, verse 11. I'm sorry. I was a little, a little mixed up there. 2, verse 11. Dear friends, dear friends, writes Peter, I urge you, strong language, urge you, as aliens... Sorry, I couldn't resist. And strangers, this is is actually an interesting picture. I've got to diverge here just a second. It's made up all of starchy vegetables, potatoes, pasta for the hair, corn for the mouth, bread for the shirt there. They call him Starchy Sam. I I searched, I I peroused the internet for uh, a figure made out of various cuts of veggie meat, but I... I didn't find anything. <laughs> Call him Triple Steve or something. I urge you, as aliens and strangers in the world, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, they, that, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now, um, as Isaac was saying last week, as Christians... We've got to be engaged in our world for the simple purpose of allowing the people around us to see, to catch a glimpse of God. We've got to be concerned with the issues that are facing us, that are facing all of humanity. We've got to be in conversation about justice, about poverty, about suffering, about conservation, about Paris Hilton. Okay, maybe not that one, but we've got to be connected. We've got to be aware and engaged in the culture around us. Why? Because that's how the world is going to know and experience the love of God. So, the section immediately following is where we're going to spend um, the rest of our time this morning. And it's a tricky one, and I asked myself, why does Pastor Chris always give me the tricky ones? But I think it's because she loves me. So just to let you know ahead of time, I've done a lot of wrestling with this passage, and it's really, um, really caused me uh, a lot of uh, consternation. Um, so I'm not sure how much sense I'm going to make this morning, but we're in this journey together, and uh, just like to invite you to, to consider a few things. Verse 13, read it with me. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as a supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it's God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. 
honor the king. front seats. Y'all better make it light on yourselves and let me have those seats. Listen, I got a, I got a colored woman on my bus in violation of the law. Did you warn her, Jim? Yes, sir, I warned her. Well, then you just do it. You got to exercise your powers and put her off. All right, man, I'm going to need police backup. thing you need to remember is that you're as good as anybody else. White, black, or green with stripes. Don't ever be afraid of what can happen to you. If you're fighting for what's right. As long as you keep that with you, then hate will be a word for other people. I doubt 
there's anyone here today who thinks Rosa Parks did the wrong thing. Uh, I'm sure that there's no one here who does not applaud the efforts and the sacrifice made by those who led out in the civil rights movement. But I wonder what Peter would have said. Did Rosa submit to the authorities? Would Peter have chastised her as did the Lutheran church chastise Dietrich Bonhoeffer when he joined the resistance movement against the Nazi regime? It was this text, 1 Peter, along with Romans 13, that convinced them that it was God's will for them to acquiesce, to remain silent while the government continued its reign of terror and genocide. And I wonder... Is this what Peter is talking about? Submit for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men. To roll over and let evil have its way? Before we attempt to answer that question, I'd like to go on to the next section. Verse 18. It doesn't get a lot easier. Slaves. Submit yourselves to your masters with all respect. Not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he's conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. What is he doing up there? Ladies and gentlemen, this is a slave ship to Madagascar. It has just returned from the Indies where it delivered 200 men, women and children to Jamaica. When it left Africa, there were 600 on board. The rest died of disease or despair. That smell is the smell of death. Slow, painful death. Breathe it in. Breathe it deeply. Take those handkerchiefs away from your noses. There now. Remember that smell. Remember the Madagascar. Remember that God made men equal. Whew. That's powerful, isn't it? It's powerful. Um, William Wilberforce, the gentleman on the boat, um, together with John Newton, the author of the well-known song Amazing Grace. Um, they worked tirelessly together to abolish the slave trade in England. I wonder if Peter would have stood up and disagreed with them. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect. Would Peter have been on the side of those not just in England, where this took place, but in the Bible Belt of the South in North America, who not only turned a blind eye to slavery, but actually participated fully in it and fought to keep the right to have slaves. 
What's Peter talking about in these chapters? Submit to every authority. Slaves, submit to your masters. He goes on, and unfortunately, we don't have time to tackle the next section, which is actually a great section. But, you know, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, my good friend, Pastor Chris, she hasn't preached in a while. And so I'm going to leave that next section for her to start off with next time. Wives and husbands. Yeah, let me just tease you a little bit. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands. She's going to have a great time. Kirby, that's right. Wives, yeah, you know, I was having the conversation with my wife. She was asking me, um, hey, so what are you preaching about tomorrow? And uh, I was like, well, from now on, you can just call me your majesty. And she was like, yeah, okay, whatever. Um, I was like, really? No, what was, that, what was that term that Peter used there? What, let me find that verse. Let me find uh, verse, end of verse 5. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. Master will do just fine. You can, you can use that term. Uh, I, there's some tough, tough things here. And, and, and like I said, unfortunately, we don't have time to, to, uh, to jump into this section. Um, let, me, let me just diverge a little bit. If there are any women, and I know that there are um, some, hopefully not in our congregation here, but if there are any women who are using this, who have read this and, and, her, and are using this as a reason to stay um, in an abusive situation, please don't. Please don't. I can tell you straight up without doing any exegetical work that that's not ordained by God. So, um, Chris, have fun next week. Um, but uh, back to this, this idea of, of submit. Uh, what do you do in the context of oppression and of injustice? I mean, it seems to me like Peter is talking to people who are engaged in, in society and who perhaps are experiencing oppression, experiencing um, persecution for their belief, um, who are in uh, relationships where there is a severe power differential, slaves and masters, and you know it, it might help us a little bit. The terminology that Peter uses here for slaves and masters isn't what we think about. Um, usually, we think about this kind of situation where somebody's forcibly removed from their their home and, and sold as a property uh, to another. Um, but the language that Peter is using actually is has to do more with um, household or indentured servants. People that are caught up perhaps in the cycle of poverty um, or indebtedness, and in order to repay that or to make a way to live, um, sell themselves or, or put themselves in somebody else's service. Um, so these are people that, that Paul is addressing. But he's saying submit, even in the context of being treated harshly. I wrestle with that. Because don't you, wouldn't you agree that, that throughout the scriptures there's this call for God's people to stand up against injustice? To speak out when they see oppression happening? To be the voice for those who perhaps don't have a voice? Wouldn't you agree that that's the call of God for God's people to be that in society, in our world? And yet... There's this idea of submission. 
in my wrestling and, and, um, and uh, contemplating, um, I'm wondering, I'm wondering if we can redefine this word submit. I'm wondering if we can perhaps deconstruct it and give it new meaning and new understanding in our world today. I'm wondering if perhaps we can reclaim this word submit from those who use it as a hammer for power and control. When Peter says submit, I imagine he might be addressing the way that we respond when we're in relationships. I guess, I guess as I thought about the word submit, I think it has to do with two main components. Submission primarily, I believe, has to do with humility. With approaching relationships that you and I are in, whether it's with the government, whether it's with our employers, people that are over us in a power situation, whether it's our spouses, but whatever relationship we approach, we approach it from a humility of heart. I believe that's the biblical definition of submission. To be in relationship in humility. To submit yourself. To be willing to take the one down position. To be willing to, to admit, I, I don't know it. To be teachable, to be humble, to be... To be to be okay with not having to be right. I think that's what Peter is addressing here when he says, have respect for these people that are in authority over you. I don't know exactly the situations that were going on back in the day, but I imagine it might be something like getting pulled over for speeding, perhaps, say, and uh, the, the gentleman comes over and, and asks you that famous question. I don't know why they ask you that, you know. Do you know how fast you're going? I have no idea. <laughs> Do you know? And you go through that process and like, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to write you a ticket. Um, you were speeding. Yeah, but, but I'm a Christian. Jesus is my co-pilot. We're cool. It's all right. We're, we're good. Yeah. You're going to write me a ticket? What? What? Are you serious? You're, me, a ticket? I'm a good guy. Go ahead, write me a ticket. Yeah, watch this. I don't know if any of you have done that. I, I sure haven't. I haven't. But, but it's this idea that somehow because we've been freed, we've been set free from Christ, what Peter says, do not, do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Don't think that just because you are uh, now... In, a free man, you're free from sin, don't use that as an excuse to act badly in society. Don't use it as an excuse to be disrespectful. Treat authorities with respect because when people see you being respectful and being in this way, they are going to get a picture of who God is. You are representatives of God. I am representative of God. So I think that's a, that's a, that's a first level. Um, but what if we're in relationships where it's not just a power differential, but where we're oppressed, where we're wronged, where we're taken advantage of, where we're abused, where we are disrespected or slighted. What then? Is submission still possible? 
is submission still godly? I think Peter would say yes for this reason. I think Peter knew, well, before I, before I um, say that, uh, Peter doesn't directly approach submission from this angle. But I think he would agree, perhaps, if he were speaking to you and I today. What would happen if you and I viewed submission as resistance? What would happen if you and I viewed to submit is to resist? Let me explain. Resistance, first of all, to the pull, to that force that reaches out, that sucks us in to the cycle of anger and revenge and bitterness. Resistance to the natural tendency to jump in to the situation where we are receiving harsh treatment. What if we viewed submission as resistance? Resistance to the notion that people and circumstances have power to manipulate and control how we behave and how we are as people. Because somebody treats me harshly, does that determine how I treat them? Should that determine? Perhaps could that, what, that be what Peter is saying? Um, when we jump down uh, to the next chapter, um, down at the end verse, not at the end, but in the middle, uh, verse eight, finally all of you live in harmony with one another, be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called. Could Peter be saying that submission has to do with resistance? Resistance to being pulled into that cycle. What if we viewed submission as resistance? Resistance that speaks up for the good. Resistance that is a voice for those in abuse, for those in poverty, for those who are homeless. Resistance that maintains respect and compassion, and humility in the face of evil. Resistance that can sit on a bus and realize and recognize that all men and women are created equal and yet submit to the authorities when they come to arrest you. Can those two go hand in hand? I would submit to you this morning that they must go hand in hand. They have to go hand in hand. For the simple reason that submission without resistance is a passivity. It's a turning over, rolling over, and let evil have its way in the world. But resistance without submission, that's dangerous. And that often leads to increased violence and harm and damage. I believe they must go hand in hand. I think that's what Peter is talking about. Um, I don't know about you, but this isn't an easy thing. 
when you think of your life, when you think of the relationships that you're in. I don't know if you find it easy to do this, if you find it natural to do this. Um, I, what's natural seems to be that when I am hurt, I lash out in defense of myself. Uh, it seems to be that um, when my brother puts me in a headlock, and it's been a long time since he's done that, let me tell you, I bite his arm. That's natural. <laughs> right? Isn't that natural? It's natural. As some find it natural to when your dog, when your neighbor's dog comes and um, defecates on your lawn for the hundredth time, to scoop it up, put it in a bag, and put it on his porch with a note. Hey, happy birthday. I, that's natural. That's natural to respond. That's, could Peter be saying that when you submit, you submit, you're choosing to act in a different way. You are choosing to orient yourself and refuse to get sucked into that reciprocity. How do you do it? <laughs> Wish I could give you three easy steps. Um, I think, first of all, it's a choice. But it's a choice that begins with a greater awareness. Awareness of who we are. Our identity, so to speak. I think Peter uh, set that up in the first couple of chapters, in the first chapter, scattered throughout are verses where Peter is saying, saying to the people that he's writing to, this is who you are. Remember who you are because these things will not be possible without this identity awareness. Remember, I'd like to just go through a couple of these verses really quickly with you. Um, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, um, where he says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. This remembrance, this awareness that you and I have been uh, remade new from the inside out. We, we are in the process uh, of becoming new people. And, and, and we have an inheritance that means that we're children. We're sons and daughters of God. We're not bound to this earth. Our destiny is not here. But we are God's. Go on to the um, next one, 1 verse 23. Um, for you have been born again, again, Peter uh, reiterates, you've been born again. It's not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. This idea that you and I have immortality, that you and I have the gift of eternal life. And it's an eternal thing, it's a forever thing. And Peter says when you grasp that, when you understand that, it makes a difference in the way that you live in the world. It's who you are. Chapter two, verse nine. Um, but you, and this is a famous Adventist version right here, I mean Adventist text, but you are a chosen people, a peculiar people. We heard preached the other, other week. A, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. And, and, and this idea that we are a peculiar people, we are a chosen people, and our peculiarity, like, like Mark said the other week, doesn't come from uh, eating stripples or wham or, or, or whatever. It comes from the way that we treat each other and the way that we're peaceable people and compassionate people and altruistic people. 
That's how we're peculiar, and that's the purpose that God has called us to. Um, I think what helps us in our journey as well towards this end of being this kind of people um, is an awareness of who Jesus is, a greater awareness of what it means to follow him. And Peter, well, he ends the section that we just did here with this, with this description. Read this with me, if you will. Um, to this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. He did not allow himself to get sucked into that cycle. When he suffered, he made no threats. He didn't allow them to control or manipulate the way that he responded. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Because of what Jesus has done gives us the power and the ability to follow in his footsteps. You and I can't live this way unless we realize and accept the healing that Jesus gives. Unless in our, in our moments of, of greatest temptation to lash out, we're able to quiet ourselves and have a picture of this Jesus on the cross and to say the simple request Heal me, God, of this desire to lash out. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I think there's a reason. I think there's a reason why Peter uses this image. Probably weren't a lot of shepherds in the crowd, but they all knew shepherds. They all knew that the one priority of a shepherd was to make his sheep safe. Peter saying, once you were scattered, you were far, you were out here. But now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your soul. You are safe. And I think when you and I, as followers of Jesus, realize the, the extent of that safety, that our souls are safe, it gives us the ability to engage in the world in wonderful ways. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with every good thing for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen.